Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Summer is the time of year when we all take a vacation. Some of you like going to the beach. Some of you like the mountains. Others of you have your old standbys that you visit every year. And some of you like taking a vacation and going to places that you've never been. And that's what we're gonna do through our series Vacation. We are going to take you to places where most of you have never been before. Each week, we're gonna travel to some of the legendary places in the world and hear some stories that change the course of history. So pack your bags, it's time for a vacation. Today, we are going on an adventure to Jerusalem, or more specifically, the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is the holiest site in Judaism. It's about a 34-acre piece of property, and to the Jews, it's known as Mount Moriah. Well, we first hear about Mount Moriah at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. It was there we see how God made a promise to Abraham and that he would be the father of a great nation and that through him he would bless the entire world. Well, the only problem with that promise was that Abraham and his wife Sarah didn't have any kids and they were both past the age of having kids. But at the age of 100 and with his wife being 90, God gave them a son. And then we see in Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abraham to bring his son Isaac to the land of Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice on the mountain there. Abraham obeyed God, and he was about to complete this sacrifice when God stopped him, and he provided a ram as a substitutionary sacrifice. And in the same location, nearly 1,000 years later, God led King Solomon to build the temple right there. Solomon's temple stood uh, there until the Babylonians destroyed it in uh, 86 BC. Almost 50 years later, the Persians defeated the Babylonians and the Jews that were in exile were allowed to return to Jerusalem. And led by the efforts of Zerubbabel, the building of the temple was completed in 516 BC. Unfortunately, after they rebuilt the temple, the Jewish people continued to disobey God, which put them in exile in the first place. So around 430 BC, the prophet Malachi gave a warning to the Jewish people. And this closed the Old Testament. And this is what he said. He said, behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their father so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And then God went silent for 400 years. You see, God was preparing the way for something new. God was about to give us the last prophet in the Bible. And that silence ended with the coming of John the Baptist. He was the forerunner to Jesus. John would prepare the way for Jesus to come and change the world. And it's the story of John's parents, Zechariah, the temple priest, and Elizabeth, who was the cousin of Jesus' mother Mary, that we're going to talk about today. Because it's their story, it's their story of belief that will inspire you 
and give you hope through whatever you face. So sit back and relax as we travel to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Good morning, friends. So good to be here with you and see all of you in the building and all of those of you online. We're glad you're joining us as well. It feels so good, doesn't it, when people start coming back. There's just something about being in the room that you feel God's presence. So as you are able, come back with us. A lot of you guys are watching from somewhere else. Tell us where you're watching from. I know I'm always amazed when I get to see them, the comments of where they're watching from. So we're glad you are with us as well. Being in ministry is actually one of the greatest treasures of my life. I love that I get to come out and share with you guys God's Word, encourage you and challenge you. When God called me to ministry many years ago, I really had no idea what all that meant. I just felt like it was a calling within my heart. I'd done ministry, volunteered years and years, and I felt like God was saying, I want you to step it up. And so when God calls us to something, we're always looking for confirmation, right? Of, is this me? Is this something God's calling me to do? And a friend of mine from this church actually said, I see God's calling on your life. I want you to go to seminary and I will pay for it. So yes, okay, I'll go. Um, and that is what happened. Fast forward a few years and God's just done great things in this church and ministry. And I'm always blessed more than I am able to serve other people. That's God's economy. How he does that, I don't know. But that is actually what happens. And Derek and I started at the very beginning almost with Pastor Bill and loved his vision from the get-go of being sure that the Bible was understandable, um, that it, people could understand what it meant, that they understood that they needed Jesus in their life. And we would do that and say it in many different ways. And our kids were raised here from an early age. They accepted the Lord, baptized here, grew up, both still love Jesus. That's a win, Right. And our son, I like to say, has defected to Colorado. I don't think he will ever come back if you've been there, right? Yeah, he is pretty. It's, it's nice. And his wife, Riley, lived there. We have a great place to visit. That's the good news. Our daughter, Caroline, lives in Fort Worth. And she's the chosen right now because she's going to give us the grandbaby in a few weeks. So um, we always say um, it's fun. Our kids, like your kids, we, we were a sports family. How about you guys? And we spent a ton of time at the baseball field, on the basketball courts. When they were young, they could do five sports, right? And then you got to choose at some point. Garrison's was baseball, played baseball his whole life. We have lifelong baseball friends to this day from spending hours and hours and hours. You guys get the drift, right? And 100 degree temperatures and what all that looks like. Caroline was a swimmer. So then you learn about a whole nother sport. She loved swimming long distance. And so... I always say I was the cheerleader. My husband now, he's an athlete from early on. Even after we grew up, he decided then he was going to run marathons. Then he was going to ride his bike for hundreds of miles and do an Ironman crazy life. So we're a sports family. I always say I'm the cheerleader. Now, have you guys seen the new runners? I was saying if I would have seen those nails and the hair and the jewelry, um, I may have done that. Derek says no, you would not have. I said maybe, who knows? Um, but because of all of our sports background and our time together, our family loves the Olympics. How about you guys? We have watched so much Olympics, learned so much about the Olympics, but I'm going to tell you, it's changed. Have you noticed that there's some things different this year than there have been? And as I'm watching, I always have a lot of questions. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I wear my husband out. I was the kid in school. If you have no more questions, you can go. I have a question. Um, I always have a question. So I started looking up and I wanted to tell you some of the questions that I have that I bet you've had as you're watching and what I, my research told me. So here's the first one. How are all those horses transported overseas? There's 300 of them. Have you guys watched them? 
They are all transported, guess what, on an airplane. Makes sense, right? They said they have personal staff of vets and groomers who make sure they're okay. And I'm guessing they're eating and pooping, and I don't know where all of that's going, but they are taking care of all of the above. They said the stallions are up front, and the mares are in the back. They don't mix them, um, just so there's no distractions going on. And they have a passport. So that's interesting, isn't it? All right, why do the divers immediately hit the shower as soon as they're out of the pool? Have you noticed that? I'm like, are they getting the chlorine off? Are they like they're dirty? They are all the time. Well, it's hot water, number one. So that's that's game changer, right? I'm thinking of us at the beach or you know, in the pool. It's that cold water washing off. Well, it's hot water, and they're trying to keep their muscles warm. They also get in the hot tub. You've seen that a little bit. So all that makes sense. But what's up with those tiny towels? Have you seen them? They're colorful. They're pretty, aren't they? They're called chamois. They have a name, and it's to dry them off so they don't get cold, because when you're wet, you're cold, you're slippery. Um, there's a reason for all that. So, all right, how are the lanes assigned in Olympic swimming? I was just asking Derek that, because you know, sometimes our teams are together. Sometimes there's a few lanes in between them. It's all by time. So this is what it says. A swimmer ends up in a particular lane depending on their qualifying time. The fastest gets the center lane, and they all want the center lane. Do you know why? I thought maybe so they could just see who's next to them. No, they don't want the waves. It slows them down. Every second, everything counts. All right, what's with that air horn that blasts constantly at certain events? Do you guys hear it? I mean, that's really obnoxious. Well, there's a reason for that as well. It's the long swimming ones, and it says it's to tell them that it's their final lap, because I'm sure they lose count, right, after a while. All right, what about this one? Why do the swimmers slap themselves before a race? Have you seen that? They're just slapping. Yes, exactly. Linda seen it. Are you thinking the same thing of why? Well, it's a warm-up technique. It's okay. This is all part of their pre-race warm-up. This is what they do. All right, I asked this one literally to Derek like three days ago. I thought in gymnastics the score was a perfect 10. Do y'all remember that back in the days of Nadia Comaneci when she was getting them all? That's when we all started learning about the perfect 10. Well, they said that was in the olden days. Yeah, that's what they said. The maximum score was 10, but the rules have changed now. They're scored on difficulty and execution, and they join those two scores, and that's why you've seen like 15.4. That's how they score it now. On the balance beam, have you noticed? Some of the girls have one slipper, sometimes two, sometimes one, and they said either way, it helps them grip and be more efficiently on the balance beam or on the floor, that that's a new thing that they've allowed. All right, now I'm gonna see what you know about, here's a little trivia. How many different sports do we have this year? It's changed. Anybody got a guess? 33. That's how many are there now. And in case you don't know, it's really officially over. This morning at 7 a.m., they passed the torch to go on to Paris. And USA, are you guys ready? We have 113 medals, the most. We won. How great is that? Yes. There's always something good that comes out of that. And as I've learned through all this, how about you guys? There's a whole world, literally, underground Olympics and all of the stories. Have you loved that? I'm loving it when you see somebody and then they'll show a picture of them when they're like three or four. And um, Suni's dad built her a wood beam in the backyard because they had no money and she was just interested and Olympics, and um, you see all that they've sacrificed their whole life 
they were interviewing Suni. You know, when Simone stepped down, she got the gold and the all-around, never dreamed she was going to get this. She never dreamed she would beat Simone, right? So she is super excited, and they said, okay, you're done now. What are you going to do? Remember in the back days, oh, I'm going to go to Disney World. <laughs> and what, I was waiting, and she said, I'm going to eat a piece of pizza. I hadn't had pizza in five years. I'm like, yeah, I think I would have said the same thing because they've sacrificed sugar, foods, carbs, you name it. They, there's muscle all over their whole bodies. You see their linear focus. They really have sacrificed their whole lives. They've trained. Some of their families were Olympians. Some weren't. Some family had no money, and they worked several jobs for their kids to be able to do this. But it's in their DNA, and you see it. They, even the ones who could quit are like, no, I'm coming back. It's in my blood. I got to do it again. Today, you guys, we're going to look at an incredible couple in the Bible who's also at the top of their game, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Both of them, Luke, the Gospel of Luke says this about them. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. So he's not even saying, well, they tried to live a good life. This is, no, they said that they were really at the top of their game. They were both from the tribe of Aaron, so all of their lineage all of their forefathers before them were priests. So they knew what this world looked like. They um, were taught about it from an early age. They knew the scriptures. They knew the laws. They knew the regulations. Um, they sacrificed a lot. It was in their DNA, just like our Olympians. This was something that they fought for and wanted to do. So Zacharias was a Jewish priest. And at the time that we're going to talk about today in Luke, there were 20,000 priests throughout the land. So they all had jobs in their cities, as we would know it, that they would do. But twice a year, for a whole week, so two weeks out of the entire year, they got to go to the temple, they got to go to Jerusalem. And this was a big deal. This was known, this is where God's present was. They were just excited to get to go be there. While they were there, they did have a few jobs, right? A few priests that got to go there during that week they were, I'd like to say, they were the facilities. They had to do the upkeep. They had to take care of everything. They were the worship people. They led worship. Then they were the pastors. They got to, to speak and tell about what the scripture was saying. Now, you might be thinking, wow, so Zachariah's getting to go do that. He's a pretty big deal. He's got a great job. He's got a great wife. God is blessing him. His life must be perfect, but no. And here's why, because he didn't have a child. And back in the Jewish culture, when you didn't have a child, you weren't blessed by God. They didn't know about infertility as we know now. They say like one in five couples struggle with infertility. It's pretty common in our world. We're not shocked by it, but it was a big deal for them. And he and Elizabeth, it says, were well past childbearing age. They had just kind of given up and decided maybe God didn't have that for them. I think they even probably stopped praying about it. Have you done that? I have prayed about something for a long time, and not because I didn't think God could do it, because I probably thought, well, I guess he's not going to do it. I'm just going to kind of give up. But what we're going to learn today is, no, just because God is saying wait, it doesn't mean yes or no. It means wait. I have something for you to learn in this middle ground. In our scripture today, you're going to get the front row seat of getting to see Zechariah actually in the temple, what that looked like. 
and how God worked in a miraculous situation to do something we wouldn't have thought that was possible. So remember, he's trained for this. His whole life, he's thought about, okay, what's this going to look like? So his week, they all report to the temple in Jerusalem, and every morning, all of the priests gather around. Remember, they all have a lot of jobs, and then they cast lots, which means they threw some dice, and it picked who was going to get to be the priest of the day to go into the Holy of Holies and burn the incense. That was the big job they all wanted to do. So on this particular day that we're going to look at in Scripture, Zechariah was chosen. It's probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He's been waiting for this his whole life. He's going to get to go in, and what he's going to do is he's going to light the incense, and as the smoke went up to heaven, there's people outside praying along with him, and they're praying that just as the smoke is going up to heaven, their prayers are going up to heaven, and God is going to answer the prayers because this specific priest had more weight, they felt like, and he was going to make something happen. Maybe in their lives, maybe they're praying for a baby or a health or I'm not sure what they were praying for, but they were really dependent on this. So let's see what happens as Zechariah enters into the temple. It says, in Luke 1, 11 through 13, that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. It's like, this isn't what I dreamed was going on in this room. But then the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, that was kind of a shock. First of all, God didn't name many people in Scripture, so this was a big deal, and this wasn't a name he was familiar with. It wasn't one of his family names. So he's not really sure about that part, but he's still a little bit stuck on the part, okay, my really old wife is going to have a baby, and what's this going to look like? She's really already pretty cranky. I'm not really sure. So the angel goes on to tell him in Luke 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. These words sound familiar? Rob in the opening quoted this. It's from Malachi, the very last book in the Old Testament. This is the very last chapter. It's just a few words left in the very Old Testament. And this is what it said in Malachi 4, 5. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. So Zechariah was very, he had most of this Old Testament memorized. He knew exactly when this angel was saying this, that this was who his son was going to be. Elijah wasn't really coming back, but there's going to be a new prophet that's going to come. And this new prophet is going to make the way for the Messiah. So remember, it's been 400 years from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Nobody spoke, no prophet. Nobody's writing new scripture. Not one word has come from God. And they really had kind of thought, we hope he hasn't forgotten us or given up on us. And then this comes. And this is a really, um, it's a big challenge for him. Luke 8, verse 18 goes on to say, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well long in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. 
So literally the angel silenced Zechariah and he said, okay, you don't believe my words. Well, guess what? You're not gonna speak words until this happens. Oh, do you feel the weight of him? This was his big moment. This was his one and only time, like our Olympians that have trained for this and hoping to do something really great, and he really messes up. It didn't go as he had planned. There was an angel there that wasn't really in the script, and he said something in his humanness he shouldn't have said. So now what? So he stayed in there for a a very long time. The people kind of outside were praying, and they start thinking, okay, I think something bad's happened to him because he's not coming out. So during that time, I'm not sure what Zechariah was doing and praying and pleading with God. But eventually he decides, okay, I'm gonna have to go out. So he goes out. They see he can't speak. Some theologians think he was deaf as well because later on it says that they're writing things down for him. So his whole life is just turned upside down. He's gotten some really good news and some really bad news. That's kind of how it happens, isn't it? And he's thinking, and how on earth am I gonna tell all this to Elizabeth. But the good news happened just as the angel said. And Elizabeth does have a baby and she does have a baby boy. And they are all really, really excited. So let's skip on down to verse 59. And here's what happens. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But the mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. That was a big deal, y'all. The guys named the babies then. And for her to speak up in front of all of these people and say no, they're thinking, what on earth is she talking about? Oh, her husband can't talk, so she's just going to come in and change this. And then they said, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. So he got to be a part of a miracle. Here's the crazy things, right? It's been several days. His wife has had this baby. He hasn't been able to talk to her. He hasn't been able to speak to his son, who he's wanted all of this time. But you know what the first thing he did? He began praising God. He knew God had made a way for this. He knew God had been faithful to him after he had given up a long, long time ago. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, saying, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. We know him as John the Baptist because his whole ministry was preparing the way for Jesus. Luke 28, Jesus says of John, He was the greatest person who ever lived. Greatest person, male, female, not Moses, not Noah, not Adam, not Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. He says the greatest person who ever lived was John. So his parents had raised him the right way. But this was a shock for the parents, right? They really thought he was gonna maybe be a priest. They didn't know what this heading the way for Jesus is. If you've read a little bit about John, he's a little quirky guy. He wore animal skins. He ate locusts. He slept out on rocks. Um, He's a little different than what they expected. But people were attracted to him in droves. 
And he had a lot of followers. And when Jesus came on the scene, you guys remember, he said, don't follow me anymore. This is who I was talking about. Follow him. He's the one. This is Jesus, the Messiah. He's the one who's going to die for your sins. He's the one that can change your life, not me. I'm just pointing the way to him. And the world was changed forever. And John was the only one chosen to do that. So when you look at his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we look at this passage, I'm thinking, okay, what did they do right? What'd they do right for God? What'd they do right in raising the son, right? What did they do that impacted the world in such a huge way? And here's a few thoughts I have from scriptures to share with you. One, they served God. They served God when life was good and when life was bad. Remember, Zechariah could have said, hey, God, you know what? I've been praying for this for 50, 70 years, however many years he prayed, and you haven't made it happen, so I'm done. I'm not going to serve you anymore. But he didn't. He had the faith to know. He was praying for it. God was hearing his prayers, and God would choose the best way for this to happen. Acts 20, 19, it says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing. This a couple of weeks ago, Bill got the first text from Steve Hoyt. I don't know if you guys know them in our church family, Steve and Lindsay Hoyt. And the text said, please pray. Jackson, who's their 18-year-old, just graduated from Keller High School, was in a really bad car accident. We think he's going to live, but it's going to be rough. They are taking him by ambulance right now to Baylor Grapevine. Would y'all all be praying, which we were. And I was texting Lindsay to, what can we do? We're praying. And, and not very long we heard it was going actually better than they had thought. And we're two weeks post that. And he's now, they've taken him to Dallas um, to a rehab. And he's walking, he's talking. There's a traumatic brain injury. So they're not sure how long it will take for everything to get back, but he's moving. There's no paralysis, and we're praising God for all of that right now. And Lindsay said something recently on Facebook that she was having a really bad day, that she had gotten up, and you know, right now it's a little difficult. Only one parent can be there at a time, and um, she said it wasn't her time to be there. She was kind of having a little bit of a pity party and thinking, oh, I feel the weight of what this is going to be. This is not what we thought this fall was going to be right after he graduated from high school and what his dreams would be. It's not now. We're going to have to put, take a pause and get him back healthy. And she said, she's kind of having a pity party. And she thought, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and do this. And she got up and she took some goodies to the fire department and some food and told them thank you for what they had done for her son. And they told her the story, how they'd gotten him out of the car, and it was, looked horrible. They didn't even know if he was going to live. And then she took some goodies up to the ER and thanked all of them for all they had done for her son. And she wrote some thank you notes. And then she said this. She said, it's amazing how doing for others can make you feel so good. Your heart can hurt and still grow three times all at the same time. That's what God does. When we serve other people, he turns what we know around and we can bless others in the middle of our pain, of whatever is going on in our lives. So we're going to serve God, number one. We're going to, number two, trust God. 
trust God even when our intellect or experience tells us not to. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, y'all, one of my most favorite verses. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So from a human perspective, Zechariah could have really gone off the deep end and chosen another way. His doubts were understandable, but he chose to trust God. And we learn alongside of Zechariah in this, God can do the impossible. We need to wait. We need to be patient. And we need to trust him knowing, Bill always says, if you knew what God know, you would want what God wants. You know, he knows what's best for us. All right, number three, follow God. Follow God by listening to the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is how we know what he wants us to do, what his will is for us. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So when we accept Jesus as our Savior, Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit. At that moment, all of the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, and we're sealed till the day of redemption. And the Holy Spirit's job for the rest of our lives is to tell us the things of God. Have you ever read Scripture before? Like one you have known your whole life and gone, oh, I've never seen that. That's the Holy Spirit continuing. It's part of his ministry, teaching us, guiding us into the things of God. So we need to follow him. And when he tells us something to do, we need to do it. They named him John. They did what God had called them to do. I was talking to my sister-in-law recently, and she was telling me about how she's following God in this new venture in her life. So you guys may remember 2012, we had kind of a trauma in our family. So Derek's brother, they're about a year apart, year and a half apart, Um, We raised our kids together. We got married at the same time. We had our children at the same time. Um, They had Anna Elizabeth. We had Caroline Elizabeth. They're two weeks apart. We went on vacations together. We did spring break. We did summers. We did holidays together. We were all um, such a close family. Even though they live in Atlanta, we did our best to get to be together. Well, about a year, we found out Anna had cystic fibrosis, which is CF, and um, everything pivoted a little bit and everything changed a little bit because she has um, to go in the hospital some. It's a, it's a lung disease as they continue to clean out her lungs. Usually in the summer, it's a few weeks in the hospital and she was really doing pretty good. Her freshman year in college, she wanted to go to college like all normal kids do and she got a really severe infection that never went away. And Anna went home to be with the Lord that year her and Caroline's freshman year of college. That was 2012. And it's been a road of sadness and great memories as well. That's what happens when you lose a child. You lose a parent, someone really near and dear to you. Carol and I were texting actually yesterday, and she was telling me she had heard a song and had a really bad couple of days. I'm like, yeah, we get it, don't we, moms? This is, this is something that's always difficult, but in it, she's decided, I don't want to stay there. I want to follow God. I want to continue to have ministry and, and to do things, and I'm, I'm going to choose to get up out of the difficulty when I can. So she was telling me she felt like God's called her to a book ministry. I'm like, oh, what is that? I always love hearing great ideas. We could do a book ministry at the Met. What is that? And she said, well, she buys books, 
and she gives them out to people who God tells her to give them to. So she said she their house was flooded. They had had a big rain, and she had a had some construction people that were in. And she said one of the guys was leaving, and he told her, you know, he was leaving, and he'd be back in a few days. And his wife was kind of going through a difficult time. And so Carol said, hey, I got a book. My pastor just wrote this book. I would love for you guys, you know, to read the book. And so he took it, and he did. And a couple of days later, when he came back, he told her, thank you so much for the book. It wasn't for me, though. It was for my wife. And Carol said, really? Well, tell me about your wife. And he said, well, she's been going through a hard time, and she kind of has a rough past. She was addicted to drugs, and she lost her family. She got a divorce, and um, her husband got custody of her daughter, and she's clean now. She's really, you know, come around. She's doing great things, and, but she's still struggling that she doesn't get to see her daughter. And, you know, it's just, it's just an ache in her heart. And Carol said, oh, man. Okay, I'm going to be praying for her. What's her name? And she said, Robin, which there's three sister-in-laws. That's our other one. So we always remember Robin. And she said, I'm going to be praying for Robin. Okay, God, that's my ministry for now. I'm going to be praying for Robin, praying for her to stay strong, praying for her to get to see this precious daughter, you know, that she wants to see. And a few months later, she's actually driving in her car. And on the radio, they have Christian station, just like we do. And a girl had come on and said, hey, I would like a Christmas wish for my daughter. I want her to have um, some dental work done. Her teeth are kind of a mess, and she's really embarrassed about it, and she won't smile, and she's such a beautiful girl, and this would make her Christmas if there's some way, you know, that we could do this. So Carol thought about it. She went home at dinner. Sean, Derek's brother, is actually a dentist, so she's telling Sean about it, and he said, absolutely. Get her information. Bring her up. I would love to help with this. So she calls the radio station. They give her the mom's number. She calls her, and they start just talking about it. And she says, my husband would love to do this. So she said, my daughter is going to be so excited. She said, um, she's just been, you know, praying about this for a while. So she said, well, what's your daughter's name? Because I'll be praying for her. And she said, her name is Robin. And she said, Robin? She said, what is her husband's name? I think he was just at my house. Um, come to find out, it's the same Robin. How about that? In the big old town of Atlanta, it's like here. What are the chances of that? So she, she, the mother, they get her there. Sean says the dental work was more than they thought. Of course, it always is, right? Oral surgery and a lot of things happen. So this takes up till about Easter. So Sean tells her, okay, Carol, Robin's almost done. And we're so excited. This is going to be her last appointment. And Carol says, I want to come. I want to come see her. I want to come pray with her and just tell her what God's done. So he says, okay. So she goes up and Sean's finishing up with her and Carol walks into the exam room and Sean tells her, Robin, you know, now you're going to have to hold your head up because she kind of had walked around and really wouldn't look people in the eye and said, God has done this for you and I need you to smile and show his love and glory to other people. And she said, okay, I will. I'm going to try. So he left, Cheryl, Carol shut the door and began just talking with her and praying with her and talking about what's ahead for her. And she was saying, you know, it's Easter and she's hoping to get to see her daughter at Easter. And Carol told her she would be praying for that for her. Carol said, what's your daughter's name? I'm going to be praying for her. And she said, Anna, Anna Elizabeth. Yeah. That's a God thing, right? 
can't make that up. And she was like, oh, my gosh. She, Carol said, just like Lindsay, when she spoke her name, my heart broke in a million pieces, and it grew three times. Oh, my gosh. This is God saying, here's a ministry here with this new Anna Elizabeth. And she said, can I make her an Easter basket? Because I always made Easter baskets for my Anna. And she said, yes, you can. So that's what happens when we're faithful and we follow God. Who would think, giving a book to a construction person at your house would come full circle to this thing that God wants to do through this mom, through this Aunt Elizabeth. I have no idea what's ahead, but I know God's in it. So I have a challenge for you today. As we look ahead, as we do all the things we talked about, instead of random acts of kindness, although I love random acts of kindness, do you? I love it when I go through Starbucks and they go, oh, person paid for you, yeah, yeah. Ryan, one of our tech guys was saying he, Recently, he did that, and they're like, oh, it's $45.50. They bought coffee for the whole office. I'm like, oh, great. That would happen to me, too, wouldn't you? When you're trying. So maybe we say, what did they order back there? I might pay for it um, before you commit. But we're going to do intentional acts of love because when God's in it, just like everything else, when God's hand gets in it and he blesses it, the reverberations are more than we could ever know. So I want you to write in your bulletin, pull your paper out. If you're online, maybe in your notes on your phone or grab a post-it note or a bill laying around, write it on the envelope. And I want you to write these things down. Intentional acts of love, and I want you to write who, what, and when. You may have already had that in your mind as we've been talking about. What does God want you to do? What is an act of of love, sacrificing, because it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to probably cost you money. I'm not sure what all it's going to cost you, but what does God want you to do? You. You have an influence that nobody else has, so he has something for you. Maybe it's to call up somebody that you haven't talked to in a really long time and just tell them you love them. No agenda. I love you and I miss you. I'm sorry. Things have just been weird between us. Maybe it's helping a neighbor. You see their yard's a little high and it's weird. I don't know what's going on over there. Just go mow their yard. You don't even have to ask or say anything. Maybe it's taking food to somebody who you know is going through a sickness, an illness, a difficult time. Just show up. Hey, thinking about you. I made extra. I think you're going to have some really creative ideas. Carol and Lindsay have given us some ideas, but I want you to tell us what you did. You can friend me on Facebook, Mary Hedgebeth Walls. You can let me know what you do. You can tag the church at Met Church. Let us know what God called you to do. I can't wait to see the reverberations of our church, of our community, of our world. And yes, you, because something's going to change within you. Your heart's going to grow three times as you do something not for you, but strictly just for God. Thanks for the reminder, Carol and Lindsay. I think you're both probably watching. Your lives are a witness for us. Let's pray. 
God, show us opportunities to help us love others, share your love with them. Give us opportunities today, tomorrow, and each and every day of our lives to serve you, to trust you, and to follow you. Increase our faith. Help us to be disciplined to spend time with you. Sometimes we just get so busy, we forget, Lord, that we need to make you the priority. Lord, if there's anyone here today or listening online that is not sure if they have a relationship with you, would you make it real to them that you love them and they'll open their heart to you and say this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. I invite you today to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your word, Romans 10.9 says, If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead will be saved, Lord, pray many people do that today. But they will be with us in eternity with you. I ask you to continue to bless our beloved nation, protect us, defend us, heal us, unite us, and use us as a force for good in this world. God, as we sang a little bit earlier, God, we're asking for you to turn it around. Turn around the crazy things going on in our world, Lord, with each of us personally, whether it's a sickness, if it's financials or job loss or marriage issues, Lord, would you turn it around? We believe that you are up to something and we are honored to get to be a part of it with you. We're thankful for you. We're thankful that you are prayer hearing God, that you answer our prayers, Lord. And we're asking for you to continue to do miracles in our lives. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.